Indie Media. They well, it's a it's a oh, it's a big question. Um, there, there's obvious ones. Um, one political reason is that it's actually been deliberately promoted by governments beginning with um, really going back to Bob Hawke in the in the eighties. There has been an effort to make Anzac Day um, a, a bigger, bigger issue, and that, that involves um, things like the enormous resources put into schools uh, by the Department of Veterans Affairs and so on. This has been documented by many commentators. But I think there's also um, you can't deny that it that the success is because it it, it actually um, hits on 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 a popular note that it has. has that people have accepted this push. It's not just you know a top-down thing. And I think the reason why people identify with Anzac Day is because by stripping commemoration of the First World War, any historical context, taking away any explanation for why the war happened, for what it was about, any discussion at all of whether it was a good thing or not, um, it simply becomes a very abstract notion, and and people are able to put into it whatever content they want. Now, why is it, do you think, that so many Australians do seem reluctant to understand the reality of, for instance, specifically the Gallipoli invasion? First of all, for instance, the fact that it, it was an invasion, it was an aggressive act by Australian forces uh, as part of the British, British efforts in, in the Dardanelles. There is this ongoing notion, isn't there, that Australia was somehow an innocent and, and entirely aggrieved party in the First World War, and that then is is sort of reflected through uh, many Australians' understanding of the nation now that it is an innocent country that is, is somehow incapable of of, of wrongdoing in, in its current wars as well in Iraq and Afghanistan and so on. Well, if you, if you think about the um, the way in which uh, the rhetoric of Anzac Day is used in popular media and so on, we're constantly talking about, remember the Anzacs. They fought for us. They sacrificed for us. Um, but it's impossible to square that with any actual historical understanding. So to give one obvious thing, it's not just that there was an invasion of Turkey. There's the obvious question of, well, why will we be fighting the Turks? If you go and look and find out why we're fighting the Turks, you can find some uh, discussion of the actual triggers that, that, that the, the actual specific triggers and events in 1915 which led the Turks to declare war. But the reality is that, that the reason why we're fighting the Turks is twofold. One was because, um, well, there was a month before the landing, Gallipoli, a secret treaty was signed, which was became no longer secret, secret anymore when the Bolsheviks published it in 1917. Treaty between Russia. France and Germany, so Russia, France and Britain, uh, promising Constantinople to the Tsar in the event of victory. So we were, we were fighting to deliver Constantinople to the Tsar, um, the most repressive ruler in, in, in Europe. Um, the other significant factor was the fact that in 1908, um, oil had been discovered in Mosul, in uh, what is now Iraq, that was then the province of Mesopotamia and the Ottoman Empire. Um, that that discovery was the trigger um, for the British to convert, decide finally to convert their fleet from from coal to oil. Because before that, up until that point, the Admiralty had been, had opposed it because they didn't think there was enough oil in the world. Now they they knew there was enough oil, and in fact, and all of a sudden. Um, and the Turks realised that, well, not, they already sort of realised before them, but they certainly knew from that point on that, that their interests 
are interested in avoiding uh, the sort of colonisation that happened at the end of the First World War of the Middle East uh, was to put their side in the geopolitical um, chess, chess game to join up with the, um, with the Germans. Um, so, to put it shortly, we were fighting to deliver the inhabitants of Constantinople to the tender mercies of the Tsar and his secret police and his Cossacks. Mm. And on the other hand, we were, we were fighting to deliver oil to the British Navy. Uh, good thing we don't have wars for oil anymore. Indeed, uh, absolutely. But, but you can't square that explanation with a notion, or, or any historical explanation, even more conservative ones for the war, really, um, with, with the notion that they were fighting for us or they were fighting for freedom or democracy. Absolutely. You make that argument about the Second World War, and then it's contested. It certainly makes it where it seems obvious that you know, oh, there's a nasty, you know, there's Hitler and he was a fascist, etc. But in the in the First World War, we were fighting a, a country that was actually more democratic than Britain. Um, they had, they had uh, manhood suffrage in Germany in 1914, and only 40% of English people could vote. English men, sorry. Mm. Now, it's sobering, Robert, to think that uh, perhaps many of our listeners who uh, have progressive politics consider themselves of the left aren't necessarily aware of the other side of the First World War. The subtitle of your book, in fact, is The Hidden History of Australia in World War I. There was, of course, a tremendous mass anti-conscription campaign. There was a genuine uh, anti-war movement with great vitality. Give us a bit of a picture of, of some of the things that were going on on the home front in terms of opposition to the war. Yeah. Well, there was, um, and there was a. Um, it wasn't just that there was opposition to the war. Uh, the thing about it, and obviously a war that led to so many casualties. I mean, more than one percent of the Australian population was killed outright. Um, but it wasn't just the war itself. It was also the other effects of the war. So there were two. There were sort of three crises which mingled to, to make people opposed to the war. One was the, the effect of the war itself, the casualties which are obviously you know, devastating. The second was um, the uprising in Ireland in 1916. Um, 20% of Australians were Catholic in 1914. So that's, and that, back then, that meant overwhelmingly Irish Catholic. So one in five Australians were Irish Catholic at a time where the Irish were now fighting against the empire, but the war was... And the First World War was not considered to be a war for Australia at the time. It was considered to be a war for the empire. Empire loyalty was the central aspect of nationalism. People waved Union Jacks rather than Australian flags, for instance. So that was very important. But the final thing is the economic effect of the war. Between 1914 and 1919, real wages in Australia fell by a third. Um, the economic impact of the war was as great, as devastating in, many, in, in some respects as the Great Depression. Um, the only thing that stopped there from being mass unemployment was the fact that so many men were going off to fight. Um, and in response to those, that attack on that collapse, that economic, uh, that economic impact of the war, there was a strike wave from 1916 right through to 1920 with a small break in 1918 after a, a strike was defeated, um, which is the greatest strike wave in Australian history, and it culminated in 1919 with the, the biggest um, uh, the year that saw the greatest number of uh, days lost to strike action in Australian history. It is an extraordinary uh, history, one that uh, more Australians should know about. 
Coming back to more specifically Anzac Day itself, uh, Robert, it, it does seem to me a very complex and in some respects delicate phenomenon because on the one hand you do have many ordinary Australians who are for quite obviously sincere and legitimate reasons remembering relatives that died in, in the First and Second World Wars, commemorating, honouring them, family members and, and friends. But then of course on the other hand there is the more craven, jingoistic ideological aspects as well. I mean how do you square that circle if you like? Well obviously people have a right to mourn um, but what you're looking at here is not just a group of people um, doing that. Um, the vast majority of the crowds who attend Anzac Day um, had no connection with anyone who fought in the war. They can't statistically have had. Um, and the the other thing too to remember is part of well part of, what, one of the things that has been forgotten. One of the myths of Anzac Day is that that, that the Anzacs themselves. Um, enthusiastically participated and the vast majority of the returned men from the First World War at least I think it was a bit different in the Second World War but certainly the vast majority of those returned from the First World War were not um, interested in commemoration so for instance just to take uh, one example of that it's not Anzac Day as such but the RSL um, people assume that you know, all the diggers joined the RSL the vast majority of them did uh, the first day IIF um, the uh, RSL never had more than 40% of the potential members. And that was in 1919, the first year when they got back. By 1923, only 8% of the first AIF were members of the RSL. Um, and I don't know what the figures are exactly for participation. It's a bit harder to, in, in marches and commemoration, but there's no doubt that, that, the, that most of the veterans' organisations, um, like the the organisations, each battalion had its own organisation and so on, were overwhelmingly um, organisations dominated um, and largely consisting of officers and a few NCRs. Very few of the privates uh, were interested in joining or getting involved in these things. So, very on, and because of course it's the RSL that always organised the marches and so on, the the commemoration process right from the beginning of the 1920s was dominated by the officer class. And it wasn't necessarily something that was representative of the vast majority of the people who fought. So it's quite possible that some of the people today who participate in marches, uh, who had a grandfather or great-grandfather, and, and, and in mourning him, they may find if they brought their grand-grandfather back from the 1920s, he'd say, what, what on earth are you doing? <laughs> I never sure. go to these things. Um, so, in a sense, it's a very much, in some ways, it's a bit like a, uh, what the historian um, Hobsbawm once described, uh, described as um, an invented tradition. No, it's not completely invented because, of course, our Anzac days have been occurring since 1916. But the idea that all the Anzacs participated in them um, is, is actually not necessarily correct.